Support for this episode comes from SAS. How is AI affecting how you learn, work, and socialize? And what do you need to know to make responsible use of it as a business leader, worker, and human in the world? Find out when you listen to Pondering AI, a podcast featuring candid conversations with experts from across the AI ecosystem. Pondering AI explores the impact and implications of AI for better and for worse with a diverse group of innovators, advocates, and data scientists. Check out Pondering AI wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate, no coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Hi, everyone, from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. This is Too Hot to Handle, Trump reinstatement, with special guest Nick Clegg. Just kidding, he's neither hot nor does anyone want to handle him. This is On with Kara Swisher, and I'm Kara Swisher. And I'm Naima Reza. And Nick Clegg, of course, is the meta executive who made the decision to reinstate Donald Trump's Facebook account. That was announced on Wednesday, and he is sadly not here with us today. No, they never do interviews with us. And we're going to find out why today. Yeah. Kara, what did you do? Who knows? It's, they don't get any benefit from talking to me, I guess. And that's what they're looking for. You've covered Meta for over 15 years. Yeah, at least. Since it was called the Facebook and since Mark was but a child. He wasn't a child. He was a young man, but yes. So in this episode, we're going to unpack the Donald Trump decision. Mm -hmm. But we're also going to unpack how Facebook and Mark went from being a baby to a behemoth. Mm -hmm. And we're doing things a little bit differently today. You, Kara Swisher, are on with me. Are you excited? I'm totally excited to talk about Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> <laughs> We did one of these with Elon, but I think this is yes. this is even more interesting to me because while you've interviewed both of these tech titans um, several times, mm -hmm. you've covered Facebook a lot more deeply than you've covered Tesla. Yes, absolutely. I didn't cover Tesla very much, but Facebook I've been covering since the beginning and quite extensively back in the early days. Um, I wrote every day about Facebook, I think, at one point. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. And, yeah, that's okay. Um, and I always injected sort of my opinion into it or my analysis, really. Yeah. So let's start with the Donald Trump's decision. Sure. And then zoom out from it to unpack how Meta got so powerful mm -hmm. and how Mark has grappled with all this power or hasn't. Yeah, he hasn't. I don't know. He hasn't from the beginning, I think. People don't realize this, but his, uh, his hero is Augustus Caesar. Um, he's talked about it in other interviews. And um, I think he likes being in charge and at the same time, doesn't like the what comes with being in charge. That, that was always my impression. Um, he had to always state really clearly that he was in charge. Always. Didn't he have these business cards? I remember these business cards that said, I'm CEO, bitch. Yes, I have one. I thought it was really juvenile when he did it. And at the bottom of uh, Facebook on the page, it was a Mark Zuckerberg production at oh. the bottom of every page of Facebook in the early days, which was so, it was so uh, narcissistic in so many ways. And the I am a CEO, bitch was juvenile and um, showed his inexperience. Yeah. It was ridiculous. We should make you a card. I'm Kara Swisher, yeah. bitch. No, thank you. I would never do that. <laughs> I know you would It's wouldn't. implied. It's implied. <laughs> 
you know, I just don't. It was interesting. You know, he was very, he was super insecure because um, mm-hmm. he was so young too, by the way. He was super young. And, you know, there was a sense of inevitability around him for sure because the site was growing so quickly. But uh, at the same time, he didn't need to do that. He was a very smart young man and 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 awkward, very, quite awkward, actually. Yeah. So Mark Zuckerberg didn't make this Donald Trump decision. No. Even though he's CEO bitch, he's off in the metaverse looking for legs. It's not the first time he has tried to punt a major decision. After January 6, 2021, Facebook joined other platforms like Twitter and YouTube and booting Trump from their platform. Unlike the others, they tried to pass the buck to an oversight board that they had created. Yeah. Why does Mark seem so resistant in owning this decision? It's a difficult decision. Let's just be clear. You know, to kick a president, a sitting president off of a platform is a mm-hmm. tough decision. And, you know, they they had a really unusual relationship with their understanding of the First Amendment. I think he spends a lot of time talking to people. You know, the whole company has drifted rightward over the mm-hmm. years right now. A lot of their counsel, I was talking to somebody yesterday, and they were like, oh, every lawyer over there is a you know, a former Trump person or very Republican. So they this idea, it, it's sort of gone in combination with he feels persecuted, presumably, by the press and things like that. And so it's where they all end up, you know, like Elon Musk and the others. And so, but he does have a basic sense that people should say what they want to say. Yeah. Uh, he also has a basic sense that there should be community and the two are at cross purposes. And mm. so he's leaned toward let all hell break loose and we'll sort it out without understanding the power of, of himself and the company. And that was always an issue, is acting like it was a little startup. And and so he always has this sense, he and the people there, that they were just, you know, that they weren't powerful. But then they liked to use the cloak of power when they would go to Davos or meet world leaders and this and that. And Mark didn't really absolve power because he, here's a guy who, like, even though he's off in the metaverse and Nick Clegg is supposedly making this decision— he even, after the IPO, maintained this vice grip on the company. He has a dual-class voting structure. Yeah. He owns about 90% of Class B shares. He can't be fired. Anyone who owns those shares cannot be fired. And so that's 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 all you need to understand, is that he makes every decision. And the, so the board is without any power. Which isn't that different to many others in the Valley, yeah. including Google, Google Snap, has that. Evan. Snap. Yeah, but it's a different situation when you have Facebook. It's a single person, and, you know, he he has all power. He cannot be fired for life. He's there for life. Well, speaking of getting fired or not, um, you actually asked him this question about about firing. This was after the Cambridge Analytica scandals. Right. Back then, you interviewed him. He kind of put his neck out as being in charge while simultaneously saying Facebook isn't really responsible. Um, here's a clip, and we've paired it back a bit. Should someone have been fired for this? You know, I asked Cheryl this. I'm just curious if you what you think. Well, I think it's a big issue, but look, I designed the platform. Mm-hmm. So if someone's going to get fired for this, it should be me. And I think that the important thing going forward is to make sure that we get this right. But to be clear, you're not going to fire yourself right now? Is that right? Not on this podcast. Okay, all right. right well, that would be fantastic. Um, uh, I mean, I think you'll do okay. Um, so let's get to the, the the privacy and data part of it. One of the things you kept saying in Congress, which really drove me crazy, because you said it like I counted. You really it. want me to fire myself right now? Sure, uh, it's just fine. just for the news. Yeah, why not? <laughs> oh, oh Kara. Oh, God. Well, I've tried. I tried, people. <laughs> I gave it my best. Yeah, as you said. 
should not. He got be- mad. He stuck on it. I was moving to something else, and he's. You notice? Yeah, he was I irri- That's he was why irritated. we played the clip long. Yeah, because he was irritated. I could. I hadn't heard that in a while, but he. I was moving on, and uh, you know, he just he, his sense of humor is. Let me just be clear. Mark Zuckerberg is a very nice guy in a lot of ways compared mm-hmm. to everybody else, but he really does get arced when you, uh, if you're w- faster or wittier than him, which most people are. But um, <laughs> but okay. he's. Uh, you know, he he was stuck on that. That's interesting to hear that now. Yeah, we played it long for that reason. But he did that whenever you ribbed him in the interview. He would sit yeah, back. Like, he would kind of go, really, Kara? That's what you yeah. want? Just for the yeah. news, trying to diminish it, but actually bringing more attention to it. In of course. Way. I, I was always surprised by that. He should just move on, you know, and have a sense of humor. But he doesn't. I obviously didn't want him to fire himself. The question you were actually asking is, should anyone be fired for this? Yeah. Who allowed this Cambridge Analytica scandal to occur? Like, who allowed this data to be out in the ether? And we're going to get to that question. But he moves from, so I should be the one that's fired for this mm-hmm. in 2018. On but, I Analytica, <laughs> but I won't be. But I won't be. Comma. To it's someone else's call in 2022. That's right. Mm-hmm. So is this Mark evolving as a leader or devolving as a leader? It is still his call. I just, whatever, he can give it over to Nick Clegg, you know, a glorified um, person that he puts in place or whoever. But, um, you know, glorified. Nick started off. Well, yeah. you know, he's just, he's not, he doesn't have any skin in the game that Mark does. Um, I mean, he does, I guess he sort of does. Um, but it's easier to put it, you know, this very smooth talking British guy who's been in politics to just give it off to him. I find it fascinating that he wanted responsibility, but it is ultimately Mark's decision. I think he, I don't know what would have happened if he would have disagreed, but I never thought they were going to do anything but let him on the platform. Yeah. Importantly, the decision is not unlimited. Mm -hmm. Clegg talks about guardrails, so a crisis political protocol. Um, He also talks about it not being immediate. Nick Clegg says that engineers need some time to build out some of this guardrail functionality because they want to monitor what Trump does and Mm -hmm. says that there is potential sanctions or resuspensions for further violations. It's going to be endless and terrible. What a terrible job for someone at Facebook to have to watch to babysit this guy. You know, this constant, persistent violator of rules. Mm. I think they've created a, a perfect machine where you can't, where nothing is a good decision. There's no good decisions here. And so they either have to decide, we're just going to do what we want and take the take the slings and arrows, or they're going to, have to let everybody talk. And that's, those are the two choices, essentially. And then, sh- and then deal with those slings and arrows you know, and the damage that could come with it. When I worked in Libya, there, Gaddafi used to do this thing called direct democracy, where everyone would vote on every single issue through these shabias or councils. And it was just a way to create chaos. The ultimate yeah. decision maker was obviously him. Right, 100%. Uh, you know, I, I think he just doesn't want it. He thought he was starting this site, and, he did, and all of a sudden he's, you know, involved in world affairs. And I don't think, for one, he's capable of it. Uh, most people aren't, by the way. And two, uh, he doesn't like it. It's like, ugh, all I get is shit. And I, that's right. Well, don't don't build such a shitty platform if you don't want shit. I don't know what to say. It's it's weird. So let's do a quick lightning round on this, okay? okay? So one, explain why this is a big deal, because even after Elon reinstates Trump's Twitter account, explain how this is different and the fundraising aspect of it. Well, Twitter, he just gets to like, he's the id. He just gets to say stupid, racist, and sexist, whatever he's saying that day, something terrible, insulting some group of people and punching down to people. Um, That's just noise. And I don't think it really affects anything. And it sort of gives him attention. It's sort of a carnival circus, essentially. Um, In this case, he uses it for fundraising. It's a super effective way to raise money and to get people on his side. And that's, it's very effective that way. You can't do that on Twitter. It just doesn't, there's no mechanism. Since May of 2018, Trump and his affiliated group spent 
$159 million on Facebook and Instagram ads. And even though Facebook did make it harder with ads after 2016, it became less useful to politicians in 2020. It's still incredibly useful. Do you think it's a good business decision for Facebook to reinstate Trump, especially since Mark has been trying to pull the company out of politics? The Wall Street Journal recently reported that in 2021, he actually tried to like clear the yeah. newsfeed of politics a bit. Yeah, he did. Why would you want to be in this mess? It's no, There's no plus. It's not that good a business compared to other businesses. And uh-huh. meanwhile, as he's, you know, mired in this political stuff over at TikTok, they're dancing and having fun and doing <laughs> ASMR. And so uh, I don't think it's a very good business at all, especially in the direction he's going. Um, he just, yeah. He's going to be in this endless Groundhog Day cycle of Trump. He'll never, he can't quit him. You know, that kind of thing. Is it a good decision from a policy perspective? I mean, we talked about this before, kind of the um, the inconsistency with leaders around the globe. I don't think there's any good decision. There's no good decision. Trump is so polarized and they helped create Trump's, you know, ability to be in office. So Mm -hmm. I am mixed. It's like, yeah, the Ayatollah says some terrible things. Why isn't he healthy? But there are lines, actually, that Trump constantly goes over. And I do have a sense that my only thing about should he be able to say whatever he wants and people can hear him, he has plenty of other places, including you know, the microphone. It's definitely cut down. I think the issue is nobody wants to listen to him anymore. And no. that's that's the that's what's gonna happen here is like he seems to have lost a step everywhere in all the different mediums. So if he says something stupid on Twitter or Facebook, do we care anymore? Like if a Trump <laughs> falls in the forest, does anyone hear it? Especially, I mean, in that they have something in common because Facebook is a little irrelevant mm-hmm. these days. I mean, Instagram, of course, is powerful. WhatsApp is powerful, but like if a tree falls in a empty forest, if do a you racist care? Tweet falls in the forest. Does anyone hear it? <laughs> you know, I don't oh, know. it's a little quieter most yeah. days in this forest. Sort um, of. Will it have ripple effects? For example, do you think YouTube will reinstate Trump soon? You know, YouTube's been able to stay out of this in a lot of ways. Susan Wojcicki's a rather clever <laughs> CEO over there. You know, you don't ever they they have just as much stuff, including the the Indian the Modi stuff. Oh, the Modi right? stuff is bad. Yeah, they're just trying to keep their head down and hope nobody notices. Well, we're noticing, Susan. Yeah, we're noticing. All right, now let's take a walk down memory lane. Tell me about the first time you met Mark Zuckerberg. Oh, this is my book. You're getting to talk about my book, but um, I um, scoop yourself. Scoop myself. Um, I was I, I was aware of it in the early 2000s, like when it started and started to get popular colleges. And it was one of many. There was MySpace. There was a there was a bunch of them. I can't even remember all their names, but there was a bunch. Um, some of them more popular than Facebook, but it was starting to gain traction on college campuses. So we started to pay attention to it. There was a PR person named Brandy Barker who was mm-hmm. very adamant that I come visit. Um, and uh, and Owen Van Otta, who I'd known from a- Amazon before that. He was at Amazon. He was a bunch of places. But um, And he said... He, Explain who he, Owen was. He, he was he was an executive. And he was very adamant that I come in and meet him. You should meet him. You would like him, this and that. And so I finally went in to their... They had a headquarter in, Pal- in Palo Alto above Pizza My Heart. A lot of companies had been. That's a popular <laughs> pizza place. I remember in, that place. In, on University Avenue. And so I went and met him. And I walked into the office and... Um, and one of the things I had talked to a bunch of venture capitalists and he sounded like an asshole, like, oh, another asshole. And I think I said that. I'm like, oh, he sounds like another asshole. Like there's so many of them, so many arrogant young mm-hmm. men. And I walked in and the first thing he said to me was, I heard you think I'm an asshole. <laughs> Which I liked him for that. Yeah. Like he sort of, you know, and I he was like, so I said, elephant. yeah. And I said, well, I don't know you well enough to know if you're an asshole. I've heard you're an asshole or something like that. And, um, and but we'll find out, like, we'll find out if you're, he's not an asshole, actually. He's not, as it turns out. He did asshole things, but he certainly isn't an asshole as a person. 
Um, so anyway, so I we walked. We I think we walked around Palo Alto, and he was always super nervous around me. You kind of leaned into intimidating him because you've told no. me a story where you took his smoothie. Tell I I don't want to go on on about this story, but I he used to have these green smoothies, and I always asked for a sip, and I always want to see if he would let me have one. And so <laughs> did he? he was sort of yes, yes, always. He always let me have a sip. It was what funny. What were you doing with that? I don't. I like green smoothies, and I it was it was uh, I was doing it to. I guess I supposed to dominate him in some fashion. I just yeah, was curious. A power move. Yeah. I, you know, if I had asked that of Steve Jobs, he'd have thrown a smoothie in my face, like that kind of thing. I would have never asked him. Um, but I don't know why. I was just, they have really good smoothies at Facebook, let me just say, all the Much time. Much more subtle than an I'm a CEO bitch. Yes. Yeah, it was. Car. It was interesting. He would give them to me. For, I would often try to knock him off his thing by asking him, you know, direct questions. And I think what had ha- started to happen by this time later, especially later when they moved into that big office building was people, you know, like I say this all the time, people are in violent agreement with him all the time. And mm. so he never got pushback. So I often, with all of them, I tried to say, no, that's, re-, you know, even if it was Sundar Pichai or around the immigration stuff with Trump, I'd say, why aren't you saying something? And I don't mm-hmm. think anyone had the audacity to to say something to these people about things. And I I tended to, like the firing thing, very typical. I'm like, you know, no one would have said that to him. And so that's why he was so, he didn't know what to think. What, what do you, no one talks to me like this. And I was like, oh, sorry, I don't work for you. Yeah. And Facebook certainly started off small. I remember in this time, I mean, I was in college and Facebook mm-hmm. was this thing that we were using. It was super, it seemed super safe. We were yeah. putting a lot of information on it and it was just college students, very gated. Mm-hmm. But then in 2005, they let on high school students. In 2006, they become an everyone app. Anyone with an email address can join. I think that's when I joined. Because you old, Kara. <laughs> not old. And then that same year. wasn't in college. <laughs> you were not. And then that same year, in 2006, they lowered the age to 13, and they announced Newsfeed, which got a lot of privacy pushback. Um, or, I mean, not a lot compared to today, but a lot for then. And by 2009, they had the like button. Mm-hmm. You were there covering all of this. How did you look at these incremental experiments with a small startup? It was always a privacy nightmare. There was a thing called Beacon where they would tell people what you bought. Like it was so privacy problematic. It was so. They were moving was, fast and breaking things, right? Yes. Well, that's a software term. But yes, I was always fascinated by that term because it's a software term. But I was always thought, why wasn't it move fast and fix things? move fast and change things. Uh-huh. And they backed off, you know, Beacon, but they got in trouble for it. They were always pushing the edge of privacy and much more so than others. That was what was interesting is that others certainly, Google was certainly a privacy, you know, sucking, you know, sucking all your privacy and information out. But they were explicit in doing it and ma- and making mistakes doing it. And so they would grab for any friggin' piece of information they could get from people and you could see it. And they were, they were sort of naked in their ambition uh-huh. to own all your privacy. And they would couch it in this term of, you know, we want to build a community. But there was, it was a one-way street of information. It was we were giving you and you Facebook information and they were using it and they were making money off of it. It wasn't, AOL did the same thing. So did uh, Google, but it was much more explicit, much more. Well, you and uh, Walt Mossberg kind of glommed on to this privacy topic 
when glommed, you yes, we glommed. <laughs> you glommed onto it. We were um, concerned about privacy yes. by this company because yeah. who who what did they do with it? Who were they? And when you saw the inside of these companies, it was chaotic. And so there was a very early war. There was people inside the company very early on looking at people's profiles. There, you know, same thing happened at Uber. But that was it. It's like, why do we trust these people with this enormous amount of personal information? Why do we? Uh, I don't. Um, but privacy was a subject that you and your partner, Walt Mossberg, kind of got into when you interviewed mm-hmm. Mark on stage in 2010. So this was at the All Things D conference. And Mark is literally sweating. Mm-hmm. Was it hot in there? No. Were the lights on in a... Well, no. He had a... I, would, I thought he had a panic attack. He said he was sick. It was very uncomfortable because he started sweating profusely. Yeah, and you noticed because you were sitting closer to him than Walt was. I was right um, next to him. You were right next to him. And and uh, he's wearing this hoodie. So you ask him if he wants to remove it. He says he never removes the hoodie. And then Walt jumps back into another privacy question. Let's play the clip. Before we move off this privacy thing, and I thought that was a fascinating right, it's answer. okay. You want to take off the hoodie? You know, I never take off the hood. I know you don't. What's with that? There's a group of women in the audience that wish you would. And- uh, no. <laughs> Girls? Whoa. <laughs> All right. Sorry. Yeah, that's okay. Um, can you explain what this instant personalization mm-hmm. thing was that you did and why you did it and what was the, what's the value of it to your users? Maybe I should take off the hoodie. Take off the hoodie. Go ahead. You want what to? The hell? You want? Go ahead. <laughs> Here. Let me get someone. Oh. All right. Yeah. This is a great moment in internet history. What? You went on to see inside the hoodie was the like yeah. the Illuminati symbol. Yeah, it was a symbol that I have that hoodie. I have that hoodie. Yeah, because Brandy Barker gave you a yes, one of them. Yeah. Um, it it was really awkward. I think Walt could not see what was happening. The sweat was really dripping And the, when I said the ladies in the audience, Cheryl Sandberg was in the front row, losing her mind. I could see her, you know, right there. <laughs> um, and she she knew what was happening, and so did I. It was super awkward because mm-hmm. he was sweating so 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 much, and I was worried he was gonna gonna faint. Honestly, I thought he he was gonna faint. Um, surprising because you and Walt have said that Cheryl told you he was ready for the privacy question. He told me he was ready. You know, we had talked about the movie, uh, the the Social Network that mm-hmm. night before at dinner. Um, I I think I had introduced him to Steve Jobs, or he they sat and talked, and so he had and he had answered lots of questions about privacy. So it wasn't the questions. We were not in the hot seat, and suddenly he couldn't. Oh, can you believe it? He was he was either ill or he he had had panic attacks I had heard previously. And I think he was so nervous, he just started sweating and um, for whatever reason. And he he would not take off this, the hoodie. And it just, it became, it was uncomfortable for him yeah. and us. And one of the things I did there, especially making the joke about the hoodie, was trying to relieve his tension. Because there's no way I want someone like him to be uncomfortable on stage no. in that way. And he was um, he was in a state of distress. And I thought it was I thought it wasn't good for us to keep pressing him when he was. And we wanted him to calm down. And by the way, I have to say he did. He calmed down and he had a great interview afterwards. And we gave him that moment instead of pressing on him. And he wrote us a lovely letter afterwards. uh, What did he say? No, you know, he he was, you know, sorry. (laughs) That was fun. You know, it was so, it got so much attention. Um, And he was, um, he was just very cordial. It looked like cleat lights, but it wasn't. It did. There wasn't. Nobody else had a problem. And um, and so he, he wrote us a lovely letter saying, I'm really sorry. And 
thank you so much. Just, he was always cordial. He never, but he never did an interview with us again. I'll tell you that. That's the other thing is- Not the two of you together. uh, I mean, he did one with me, but he didn't, he wouldn't come to Code again. And that was, Mm. he had been twice or two or three times at least. And so um, it was, uh, it was unfortunate. Uh, I I don't think that was a, I know I get a lot of attention for that, but I don't feel great about that interview because I feel bad when someone, anyone is in distress like that. And he was in physical distress and you don't want that to yeah, especially not when you're interviewing someone. You want someone to be comfortable so they can tell you. Yeah. They can talk yeah, to you. Yeah, he was so embarrassed, too. He was so embarrassed. And he shouldn't have been at all, but he was. And I could see why. By the time you did that interview, Mark had a big company. You know, it wasn't this small startup. In 2008, he hired Sheryl Sandberg away from Google. I think you broke that I story. I did break that story. Mm-hmm. Um, was hiring Sheryl, she was seen as an adult in the room. Yeah, so, I hate that I know. idea, but... Whatever. Was hiring Cheryl a turning point for Facebook? Did it show that he wanted to kind of open yes. up decision-making and want adults in the room? Well, he wanted them to decide on things he wasn't interested in, which is the thing that made money, right? And that's the similar thing that happened at Google with Eric Schmidt. And Cheryl was an experienced ad executive, and that was critically important. At, at Google, she was running their one of their big ad systems. And so she needed that. The other thing is he had been through a series of, of COOs, and including Bo and Van Ada and many others, that just didn't work. And they kept getting fired. It looked like chaos. And he was not capable of handling that, that part of it, especially the smoother part. Um, cause he just, you know, he just wasn't, he just, ha- he's an awkward personality at the time. He's much better now. Um, and so, uh, he brought her in. It was a smart, and they got along really well. Um, and she really did grow Facebook's ad business. She did. It was crazy what she did there. And they got along very well. They had almost, um, I would say an older sister, younger brother kind of thing in a lot of weird ways. Hmm. Um, I, I wouldn't, you know, they became personally close, especially after Cheryl's husband, who was a very good friend of mine died. Dave Goldberg. Um, Dave Goldberg. And so she was very good. They got along, you know, and she took off his plate the stuff he hated um, and sort of was the smooth operator kind of personality. I wouldn't say an adult because I think that's the problem. I hate this idea of these people aren't adults. They're total adults. Um, And so I hate that they're like, oh, the boys now have a mom, like a a Wendy and the lost boys. I can't stand that. But I think they they take advantage of that. Oh, they, they stole all your stuff. Oh, they're just boys, you know. That was irritating to me. Did she have sway with him? Because at the time, he also had these outside advisors. Peter Thiel was kind of the first money in, first big money in. Yeah, Mark Andreessen. Bill, Bill Gates, Gates was close to him. Microsoft mm-hmm. put in a big stake in 2007. So did did Cheryl have kind of equal clout to him? Yes. Versus these advisors? Oh, for a long time. A hundred percent. Yeah, she was, I think, his principal advisor, I, I would say. You know, he, he always, you know, had these... Other people like Peter, Mark Andreessen, Bill Gates, you know, who influenced him, lots of people. Yeah. But I think she and he were a real unit for a very long time. They did a lot of stuff together. Uh, He put her up. That was one of the things. He wasn't like a lot of men. He wasn't, uh, he didn't have a problem putting a strong woman in charge kind of thing. Yeah, and putting her in front Um, of people. Compare him to Elon, because you've talked about how Elon surrounded himself with people kind of licking him up and down. And Elon seems to be. He didn't. He didn't. Like, did he allow other people to disagree with him at this time? It was different because he he had people around him that agreed with him. That's all. Okay. And that was the problem. They all have this problem, as I say. Uh-huh. Um, but I think he he didn't he didn't like dissent. He just he eventually didn't like dissent. No dictator does, Kara. But they all agreed with him. I remember Cheryl one time said to me, like, oh, we've all been together 10 years and we get along so well. And I was like, is that a good thing? Mm. Like, I never think it's a good thing for for companies not to have dissent internally. And so everybody's fortunes are linked to um, to 
getting along and especially pleasing him. And even if he doesn't mean to do it, and I don't think he, unlike Elon, I think Elon needs attention almost constantly. You can see it even when he was walking out of a trial the other day. Well, how'd I do? Like, oh my God, that is so pathetic. <laughs> like from the reporters hanging outside. Um, Mark doesn't need that kind of, uh, you know, he's got a very loving family. He's got, um, you know, but he just, but, but you're around people who you're all in agreement. And so where's the, where's the push when things are problematic? No one's going to say, oh, the privacy thing, maybe we should do something about it. And I think if you're an adult, you want that. We'll be back in a minute. Support for this show comes from NetSuite. People say perfect is the enemy of good, but simple is everyone's best friend. Because when something is simple and easy, it tends to work out for the best. And NetSuite wants to provide products and services tailor-made for your business. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math, see how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to netsuite.com slash on, netsuite.com slash on, netsuite.com slash on. Support for this show comes from Virgin Atlantic. Travel can be stressful. I don't think that's a controversial take. Sure, we all love taking a vacation and that moment we finally get a chance to relax, but we're always so focused on the destination that the journey just feels like a means to an end. Well, what if it wasn't? What if the time you spent getting there was just as enjoyable as the vacation itself? That's what Virgin Atlantic believes. That's why they offer loads of special extra touches that make your trip one to remember for all the best reasons. Picture this, you've made it to the airport, checked in your bags, and finally have a moment to settle in before takeoff. If you're flying upper class, you could be putting your feet up in a Virgin Atlantic clubhouse at London Heathrow with food made fresh to order and champagne delivered straight to your table with a tap of a QR code. I mean, it's rude not to, right? Once you're in the air, the experience continues with deliciously different dining, seriously comfy seats, and the best crew in the sky by miles. Check out virginatlantic.com for your next trip and see the world differently. In 2012, Facebook went public. You covered that for uh, All Things D. And you're pretty complimentary about Mark then. You, you were predicting an overhyped valuation. You noted he wasn't like blabby like mm-hmm. Groupon or others were. And you talked about how he had been patient in growing his business. He did. Um, about how he was insistent about conducting the IPO with deliberation and care. Mm-hmm. Were you hopeful or hopeless about Mark and Facebook then? I, I had first thought that first valuation from Microsoft was insane. But, you know, that was crazy. It was $15 billion for some reason. It sticks in my head. But those were crazy numbers at the time. And they weren't, you know, now it's like a nothing burger. But once you could see him building it slowly, he was a, quite a good operator. And not every founder is a good operator. Bill Gates was the comparison I made with him. Um, nice, A nicer Bill Gates, essentially. Bill Gates was not a very nice person when he was CEO. He was just very careful. And he wasn't showy like the others. And all, a million of them were more showy. And 
and they didn't mm-hmm. do as well as he did. And he picked Cheryl and he picked the executives were really competent. You could feel the competence off of them. And I thought he built a nice team. I just didn't think he had built a team with enough people to push back on him. And then he started to shed those people, including me, including me. Including you. We'll get to that. Um, Shortly after the IPO, Facebook really swells. They passed a billion monthly active users in 2012. They go on a buying spree. They already had Instagram, but they eat up Oculus and WhatsApp. They try to buy Snap. Um, And things seem to be going swimmingly for the most part until the 2016 elections. We're going to get to Cambridge Analytica revelations, which come later, but First, talk about 2016 itself, because right after the election, Facebook is called out for misinformation, and Mark kind of shrugged it off. He did. He said, I think the idea that fake news on Facebook influenced the election in any way is a pretty crazy idea. And then BuzzFeed just followed up, I think, less than a week later when they had their big investigative team, showing that false news stories actually outperformed real news stories. Yeah, it was in real time, because when he said, he said nothing. He was on stage with David Kirkpatrick. I remember that. And I think I emailed or texted him and, and Cheryl, and I said, nothing? Where are you coming up with that number? Don't say nothing uh-huh. if you don't know. And and I had a lot of discussions, especially with Cheryl, about this, um, because they kept he kept walking it back. I'm like, if you don't know, stop talking, yeah. because I think you don't know. And again, it showed that they weren't managing the business. They were sloppy managers of the business. Um, and, you know, and also it got sucked up into a media cycle, because I think some of it was overblown, no question, some of the reporting on Cambridge Analytica. But directionally, 100% correct. In the next two years, we kind of have a couple big revelations. In 2017, we learn about the foreign interference in the presidential election, right? The Mm -hmm. huge volume of Russian interference on Facebook and other platforms. And then in early 2018, there's this explosive expose on Cambridge Analytica. Mm -hmm. So we learned that this British consulting firm, this political consulting firm, bought personal data that had been harvested from tens of millions of Facebook users and used it to micro-target ads for Trump, as well as for campaigns like Brexit. How did you think Mark handled that? Because it had been built on a kind of bad stack. Well, he handled it like an engineer, right? Look, it wasn't as big as everybody said, but it was also not as little as he tried to make it, right? The roots were farther back when he allowed all kinds of developers, third-party developers on the platform. That was always, I always had an issue. He did it at one of his F whatever, aid or whatever they call them. Um, He had these meetings with developers. And I used to think some of these developers are kind of sketchy. Why are they getting all this information? And he cut that off at some point, but it was always a a real problem. And he was never caring about it, right? And so you'd be like, well, who are you giving information to? How are you managing the information? And I think that's what was really at the heart of this. You know, he, he definitely tried to get off the developers, but the instinct was to give away information to make money. Uh, it was important for them to make the platform bigger, to have game players, whatever. Yeah. Remember they had everybody on there? They had a there. big open, develop- that was the whole thing, open graph in yeah. 2010. It was and always they- like, wow, you've left all the doors open to this place with no keys. Well, they tried to clean it up in 2014, but they didn't do it retroactively. Well, that was in their self-interest. Yes, but that was in their self-interest because they wanted to own it all. In March of 2018, he goes on a kind of apology tour for Cambridge Analytica, which is very different than the listening tour he went to in 2017, where people thought he was going to run for president. That was funny. Yeah. Um, But he, you got an interview with him late, but you got it. (laughs) Yeah, I did. It's only 20 minutes. It's on the phone on the way to him going to an employee Q&A. That's correct. And we don't have the audio, but the transcript really struck me because you start the interview abruptly and you say... As you know from us emailing, I'm very interested in tough, substantive discussions and questions about this. So that's why I've been so adamant. Let's just get started. I'm interpreting how you'd read it. Adamant. 
It was a word for pissed. Because what they did is they went around real reporters and gave them to much easier reporters. I don't know mm-hmm. how else to say it. But they did that a lot. They started to do this a lot. They didn't want to answer tough questions. And so they gave all these kiss-ass interviews, you know. And and I was furious because we were really doing a good job covering it. I thought we were very responsible on the Cambridge Analytical stuff. I don't think we went off, the, you know, we didn't accuse them of being Satan or things like that. And so I called, I think it was Rachel Whetstone. I was like, what the fuck? What the living fuck are you doing? You're not giving us an interview and we were at one of the leading news sources here mm-hmm. and so I was pissed and so I emailed him I'm like we want to do substantive thing and you want to do light and this is important and so I bull- I kind of bullied him into doing it <laughs> but he should have he should it was a good interview by the way it, it was, was the a best, good interview it was the best interview of all those interviews too because I pushed him in just 20 minutes with you and Kurt Wagner and yeah. he kind of gave you the same we're a small company and I'm just yeah. too idealistic defense that we kind of get you were not buying the Kool-Aid no I was not. A couple months later, after Mark goes for those awkward congressional testimonies in which he's either kind of grilled by the Senate or bear-hugged by geriatric members of the House whose grandkids love Facebook, um, you sit with him for over an hour. This is July of 2018. Mm. I'm surprised he came back. How did you negotiate that interview? Uh, Again, it was Rachel Whetstone, (laughs) who's now at Netflix, (laughs) who probably regrets that one. Um, You know, I think she was smart. She wanted to get him out there. I think she had a lot of regard for him. And Mark is Mm -hmm. a lot smart. You know, he has trouble with me and some reporters. And so she wanted to show that he could. And he won. I think he did. And we did this interview out at Facebook headquarters. And it did not go well for him. Did not go well. We'll get to the part that really didn't go well. But first, you asked him about Cambridge Analytica, Russian interference. And he said something that stood out to me. Um, let's play a clip. In retrospect, I do think it's fair to say that we were overly idealistic and focused on more of the good parts of what connecting people and giving people a mm-hmm. voice can bring. And I think now we understand that given where we are, mm-hmm. right, both the centrality of Facebook, but also, frankly, we're a we're a profitable enough company to have 20,000 people go work on reviewing content. So I think mm-hmm. that that means that we have a responsibility to go do that. Oh. So idealistic. I was too oh, idealistic. We've made like a, a toxic waste dump. Maybe we should clean it up. Like, and, and he had a lot of money at this point. Of course he did. He should have done it from the beginning. This is something I've been in a constant fight with Facebook about, whether it was Facebook Live. Like, why don't you put Tools in from the beginning, safety tools. Safety was never their first interest, ever. It's not idealistic. That's what drove me crazy. Yeah, that's just a cloak, right? I think so. I think it was just ridiculous. It happened too many times from way back in Beacon days. It happened so much that at some point, like, are you stupid or are you doing this on purpose? So that's the thing. You keep pushing him on, like, how did you not foresee? Like, Mm -hmm. you build things. Consequences was my themes. Yes. And 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 yet he kind of kept saying, mm-hmm. "What me? Uh-huh. Uh, we we're just too uh-huh. realistic. We're just a small company, uh-huh. right?" This, meanwhile, he's been meeting with world leaders for years now. He's a very famous, I mean, rich person. People a I year just, before thought he was going to run for president. That's right. Uh, when he went on his weird tour, yeah, yeah, his weird tour. He was shooting Buffalo, if you remember. He was driving around in a car with Mayor Pete. Yeah, South Bend, the Indiana. Buffalo. I'll never forget that he gave to oh, Cheryl yeah. the Buffalo. <laughs> And he went to see these families who were like, I'd vote for Mark. Yeah. It was it was the adventure of Mark Zuckerberg. But the 2018 interview did not go well for him. And let's talk no. about why it didn't go well. Um, the one comment he made that got to headlines, this is your, you're asking him about Sandy Hook. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to talk about Alex Jones, right. Yeah. And he brings up something completely unexpected. Agreed. Let's play a clip. Sandy Hook didn't happen is not a debate. It is false. You can't just take that down. 
I, I agree that it is false. Okay. Um, and, and I also think that going to someone who is a victim mm-hmm. um, of Sandy Hook and telling them, hey, no, you're a liar, mm-hmm. um, that is harassment and we actually will take that down. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, you know, I mean, let's, let's take this, this a little closer to home, right? Okay. So I'm Jewish mm-hmm. um, and there's a set of people who uh, deny that the Holocaust happened, yes, right? I find that deeply offensive. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I, I don't believe that our platform should take that down because I think that there are things that different people get wrong. Um, either, I, I don't think that they're intentionally getting it wrong, but I think but that in they- In case of a Holocaust um, deniers, they might be, but go ahead. Um, it's, it's hard to yeah. impugn intent um, mm-hmm. and to understand the intent. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just think for as abhorrent as some of those examples are, I think the reality is also that um, I get things wrong when I speak publicly. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure you do. I'm sure a lot of leaders and, and public figures who we respect do too. And I just don't think that it is the right thing to say we are going to take someone off the platform if they get things wrong um, even multiple times. Oh, gosh. Oof. Was that bad? It is bad now. Yeah, it's bad now. I listen to it. I'm like, oh, good God, Mark. Um, yeah. After the interview, he clarified the comments. He He said... He finds Holocaust denial deeply offensive, and quote, he didn't intend to defend the intent of people who deny that. I think he said both those things. But what were you thinking as he said that? Well, it was an interesting moment as a reporter because I usually was like, what the fuck? I, yeah. My answer would have, I said, but go ahead. Do you see how I said that? Yeah. Because I couldn't believe he was going to Holocaust. That's your favorite like, thing to Don't. say, by the way, but go ahead. But go ahead. Um in that case, I was I couldn't believe he said it. I couldn't believe, first of all, I couldn't believe he was going to the Holocaust because I thought, oh, no, no, no. And don't do the I'm Jewish because, and I, so therefore, that was, he was trying to say, mm-hmm. me of all people should be more, I think we all should be offended by the Holocaust, but th- fine, great, okay. But then he sort of was like essentially saying, well, I don't think they intentionally get it wrong. And that was like, what? So here he is letting these people game him over and over and over again and pretending they just are getting it wrong. They're not getting it wrong. They're purposely and viciously, and they're they're, they're stone-cold anti-Semites, and they have no business on this platform. They're trying to sow harm. Yes, exactly, just so they could say their piece. Well, we know they hate Jewish people. Thank you. That's That's been very clear for many right. centuries. I just was sort of like, ah. Uh, and, and I looked at Eric. Uh, Eric Johnson, your former producer, right? Yes, Eric Johnson. And I looked at him, and he looked at me, and for some reason, they didn't understand what he had just said. And we were like, let's get it up before they figure out what they just said. Because I couldn't believe he said it, but he was such an insight that he really, he actually believed it. I was so, I wasn't shocked, but I was, I was like, oh no, here's the person running this site. And they really think people just get it wrong and not that they're bad players or anything else. It was a real moment. That was a real moment in that interview. So that's why I was quiet. Uh, Because I wanted you to understand his point of view. Mm -hmm. And he, there was nowhere for him to hide because I wasn't haranguing him. I wasn't peppering him. I just let him say it. And it was so clear what he said. And, you know, I'll have to clarify it. He didn't need to clarify it. That's what he thought. And I wanted people to see it just the way it was. And And he didn't break a sweat. Didn't break a sweat. He he said what he meant. Yeah. It took two years for Facebook to ban Holocaust denial posts after that conversation, more than two years, like (laughs) until October 2020. Alex Stamos, who was the former chief security officer at Facebook, told you in an interview on our old show that the attention from your conversation with Mark probably delayed him in reversing the decision, that he dug in his heels. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's true? And what does that say about Mark? 
He doesn't want to be, he doesn't have other people telling him he's wrong. He doesn't have the foresight to say, oh my God, what did I do? Again, he doesn't think he's powerful. It's powerful people who pretend they're not powerful, like super powerful people with uh-huh. implications of what they do. And somehow it was my fault, what he thought. I'm sure that's what happened. And then, of course, he changed his mind two years later, all the damage that it did. And he came to the same place that I told him he was going to be at. I, I felt like his parent at that point, like, what the hell are you thinking? Like, that means what, that Sheryl Sandberg was your oldest child. <laughs> no, she wasn't. <laughs> uh, before we continue the analogy, how did that interview change your relationship with Mark, with the company? Um, because, you know, mm-hmm. I've been, we've been working together, you and I, Kara, for three years mm-hmm. now, I think, almost. Mm-hmm. And we ain't getting any Mark Zuckerberg interviews. We're not interviews. getting Mark Zuckerberg. Never again. Or any other executives. I mean, I think they maybe, maybe Nick one day will come. Never He'll, He's again. used to the British press. But I don't know. How did the interview change that relationship? Never getting an interview again. Never, never, anywhere. It was my fault that he said what he thought. I, you know what I mean? Like, I somehow used my ma- magical powers of interview to get it out of him. I didn't. He, he told the truth, and yeah. that was a problem. That was a problem for them. And so, you know, I then got very, very angry about what was happening because they just wouldn't listen. I started to be much more critical around Trump. I had started, uh, I, I was. I had already been critical about when they got went and sucked up Trump after he won, and I, I, they thought I was hostile to the company when, in fact, I, if you look back at my stuff, it's not hostile. If you, I'm just like, this is going to end badly, may I just say. And I, I even, I did predict what Trump was going to do around January 6th. I said he's going to lie about the election. And they just, they, I remember writing a column and I got, a, I got put, how dare you say this? Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, all right, fine. What is Mark's Achilles heel as an interviewee? Normally, I don't want to tip off potential guests to their vulnerabilities. No, but I'm never going to interview him again. So, so little chance. So, really... tell all, Kara. What What um, does he do? I, I think now, I think he still is the same kid I met back then. That's mm-hmm. the thing. Is he's not any smarter or more? He's got more training, but it's very easy to um, go past his talking points. He's not very good at talking points, um, and. I think he wants to, you know, it sounds like dumb. You remember that scene in uh, A Few Good Men? Yeah. I think he wants to say it, like, uh, the, at the last thing. Like, yeah. Te- he, wants he, he wants to say he did the code red. Right. And that's what it is. He really wants to say it. And so— So it's hubris. Uh, no, I think he's like, I I have something to say. He he And he's gotten a lot of shit, let me just say. He's gotten probably more shit than any executive, and he's become vi- the villain in a way that he doesn't deserve in many ways. But he's got— um, I think he really, um, I, I honestly think he wants to say it. And so I provide a situation where he gets to say it. And he, he sometimes he wants, in Mark's case, I don't think it's the case, some of these people try to see if they can beat me, which yeah. is ridiculous. I mean, I won already if that's the if that's what they're doing. <laughs> and um, and so I, I don't think that's it. It's just he's he's... He's constitutionally unable not to say what he thinks. And yeah. so that's what happens in interviews with me. And he gets nervous. And so that's another thing. And he doesn't, now he's a, you know, he's a titan of industry. He doesn't want to look like he's weak in any way. We'll be back in a minute. Support for On with Kara Swisher comes from Babbel. 
Learning a new language doesn't just give you dozens of new ways to swear. Studies show that people who learn new languages develop better memories and get more comfortable solving difficult problems. In turn, confidence improves and perspectives open, allowing for more flexibility no matter what life brings to the table. If you're ready to make a new language part of your routine, Babbel can help. Babbel is a science-backed language learning app with lessons created by real people for real conversations. Babbel doesn't rely on artificial intelligence to build its 10-minute lessons. Instead, they are handcrafted by more than 200 language experts focused on teaching phrases and vocabulary you'll actually need to communicate. I've used Babbel myself. I'm trying to learn Spanish since I spent four years trying to learn it in high school and then again in college. And I have to say, I'm doing a lot better with Babbel. I use it on the go when I'm traveling. It's super easy to do these 10-minute, five-minute lessons. It reminds me every day and I do it. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at Babbel dot com slash swisher get up to 60% off at babble.com slash swisher spelled b-a-b-b-e-l dot com slash swisher rules and restrictions may apply support for this show comes from the harvard business review i made a career out of taking to task some of the tech industry's biggest players and honestly some of these guys and they're all guys really had no clue what they were doing and they could probably have benefited from some of the resources available at harvard business review Harvard Business Review is a top source for smart management thinkers. Cultivated by some of the greatest minds in business, the Harvard Business Review is a trove of rigorous insight and best practices. It's more than just the flagship magazine, too. You can find the same level of expertise on hbr.org, and for just $10 a month, a subscription unlocks unlimited access to a variety of resources like hundreds of articles, podcasts, newsletters, case studies, and so much more. I use HBR all the time to look up all kinds of cases and not just in tech, and also listen to their podcasts. I look at their newsletters, and I really, 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 most of all, like the articles, which have a different perspective that I might have to give me ideas. While much of Harvard Business Review's content is available for free after signing up at their site, subscriptions to unlimited content start at only $10 a month. Go to hbr.org slash subscriptions and enter the promo code CARA right now to get 10% off your subscription. Again, to save 10% off your HBR subscription, go to hbr.org slash subscriptions and enter the promo code CARA. The other day you talked to me about a time where Mark used to listen. You said you said that was back when Mark used to listen. Yeah. What did you mean by that? Oh, he'd call me up at night. You know, he'd, he would write these long, long essays about community. He did one that was like 26 pages long. And I think the first oh, thing he was, and he wanted to know what I thought, which was interesting. And he, um, so he's inviting critique. And in oh way. yeah, no, he wanted yeah. to engage. He found other people to engage with that weren't quite so critical. And I, the first thing I said is, I really think you need an editor. You know, like, this is just <laughs> ridiculous. Like, it was so long and not badly written. It just needed an editor. Like it, it wasn't clear. And and he's like, oh, everyone else likes it. I'm like, yeah, of course they do, Mark. Like, but it's too long and it's not clear. And. And he also had a lot of stuff about this community and these lofty ideas that were just not true. Yeah. Um, and and so we talked a lot. We talked a lot about that idea. And, uh, you know, we talked about a lot of things for a long time. And I just think he just, it didn't, I probably was too critical for him. And I thought that helped him. But, you know, I, I didn't I didn't want to be his friend. I'm not his friend. And he thought, asked me what I thought. And I told him, I think, I think you have a way too powerful platform here. And I think you need to understand your responsibility to it. And the people that you serve. 
Mark gave a commencement speech uh, back in his heyday of 2017 at Harvard, um, that peak year when he was going on the political tour with the cattle. When he was meeting all the cows, yeah. All the cows, yeah. And here's what he said in the commencement speech. Be prepared to be misunderstood. Anyone working on a big vision is going to get called crazy, even if you end up right. Anyone taking on a complex problem is going to get blamed for not fully understanding it, even though it's impossible to know everything up front. Anyone taking initiative will always get criticized for moving too fast because there's always someone who wants to slow you down. In our society, we often don't take on big things because we're so afraid of making mistakes that we ignore all the things wrong today if we do nothing. The reality is, anything we do today is going to have some issues in the future. But that can't stop us from getting started. Oh, there's so much wrong in that statement. <laughs> I can't even tell you. You know, everyone's wrong but me. I'm an aggrieved citizen. It is so tip. That is he. That is absolutely the distillation of the attitude of people in Silicon Valley. Is we were, you know, if you get in our way, girls or you know, mean ladies like Kara, anyone that you disagrees. don't understand anyone that disagrees. And by the way, let me just tell you. Guess who disagreed with Mark? People who he bought companies from and who do not like him, I would who say. Who left him? Brian left the company. from WhatsApp. WhatsApp, Instagram, Systrom, and Mike Krieger. Uh, you know, I just am like, is everybody wrong? Is everybody who says just a second wrong? Roger McNamee was another one. His big um, advisor. And yes. Chris Hughes spoke Chris, out about him in a piece yes, with Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so it's like I'm listening to Peter Thiel and Mark, uh, I mean, an unholy alliance of Peter Thiel and Mark Andreessen. And it's really <laughs> they disappointing. Because, by the way, Mark's a better person than either of those two every day of the week and twice on Sunday. That's the problem. A better person, a better citizen of the United States and, and the world. And it's sad that this is the influence. This is what happens to someone like him. Because he's actually, again, a good guy. I, I'm going to say it over and over again. Do you think he's misunderstood? No. Or do you think he misunderstands? I think he's totally understood. Hmm. I think he's totally understood. And he just doesn't like it. Um, and that's my that's the issue. When you joined the Times in 2018, you started... you. You wrote a lot about him mm -hmm. before, but you became, you were an opinion writer. It's why I joined the Times. And you wrote a lot about him. I'm going to ask you to read some of these headlines. So let me just say the very first one was the most critical one, which was which was the expensive education of Mark Zuckerberg. That was the most direct I was trying to do. That's Fall why I, 2018. If, I, if I had stopped doing Times columns for that, it would have been good because that's what I wanted to say that he would that he, they had amplified and weaponized information. And this guy is at the center of it. And it was, we, the expense of education was not that it cost him a lot, it cost us a lot. Society a lot. Same thing with the Holocaust. That's what I, that's what I was talking yep. about. So I later wrote, a wise man leaves Facebook about Kevin Systrom, lean out, Mark Zuckerberg, let me fix that op-ed you wrote, which was a ridiculous piece about the First Amendment, I think. Uh, I wrote about Facebook's biblically bad week, I wrote, clean up your act, Facebook, or we're leaving. I wrote, Zuckerberg never fails to disappoint. I wrote, the terrible cost of Mark Zuckerberg's naivete. And I wrote, the endless Facebook apology. It kind of comes full circle. That's just, by the way, a small sampling, Kara. Just some of my favorites. So the hits. Lean Out is probably my favorite. That was kind of about how Cheryl got thrown under the bus yeah, with Cambridge yeah, Analytica instead of him. she has plenty of responsibility. Let me just say, people always say I'm too nice to her. She has plenty of responsibility. But nonetheless, guess who can't be fired? Yeah, the CEO bitch. That That's one. right. That guy. Yeah. That guy. Um, so you've been critical. But what mm -hmm. has Mark done well in all this time? 
I think it's a I think it's well built. The service is well built. I think the idea of it is great. I think mm-hmm. he handles layoffs beautifully. Like recently he showed a lot of class. Um, I think in part he's right about Apple's power, but the way he does it, I don't agree with. He shouldn't have yeah. put himself in that situation to start with. Um I, I think he means well. Like you're not gonna see him tweeting all sorts of nonsense that Elon does and Jeff Bezos sometimes too, right? Every now and then you're like, oh, shut up, you know, like stop talking. You don't see that. Um, I think he actually does care for the product. He's a real product guy. And I mm-hmm. I don't know if he's the most creative person like in the world. I When you look at the metaverse stuff, you're like, oh, no, 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 sir. Yeah. Um, he doesn't mind being wrong, but he never says he's wrong, right? That's the thing. <laughs> like he, he won't shift. Um, and he's slow so, to shift. Yes, he's slow to shift. I don't think he'll ever say it, but I think he does see threats. I, I like that about him. He's competitive about TikTok, whoever's mm-hmm. coming. Um, it tends to make him want to copy things. I used to call them shoplifters at Facebook. or yeah. <laughs> So that I don't love, but, you know, there's a lot of non-creative. Bill Gates was not okay. very creative. The question was so. what you thought he did well, Kara, but you, you answered that. <laughs> yeah, all those things. things. A lot of things. Um, someone once described, uh, someone who knows Peter Thiel well, described Peter Thiel to me as being driven by two principles. One, loyalty, and two, contrarianism. Mm-hmm. What do you think Mark Zuckerberg's guiding principles are if you had to analyze from your reporting? I think he doesn't mind there being collateral damage to the things he does. Think of Augustus Caesar. You know, Mm -hmm. like, well, we got democracy. A lot of people died. Like that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. So big picture oriented. Big picture oriented. I think big picture, he's right. Small picture. Some of the executions been bad. Um, And he tries things. You know, he tried that phone. Yeah, the smartphone that came in wet with HTC. He did Libra, the cryptocurrency. So you've seen him experience a lot of failure in those products. and How does Mark deal with that failure from your observation? He moves on. I I just don't think they're very creative at Facebook. That's all. They got the news feed right, and that was a while ago. And uh, but it, when you look at a lot of their innovations, they're copied from other people. And so, um, you know, but he moves on. That's great. He's trying things. The metaverse is the first time he's really gone out in a limb by himself on a thing that they're in the front at the front of. So, what do you think striving that his desire? Like, is this like a displacement? activity for him where he just wants to get out of this kind of fucked up business. Yeah, I think he wants to get out of the face. That's why he's not making this decision. He's not, he doesn't want, why do you change the name? Yeah. He put on a mustache. It's a new mustache. Yeah. It's still Mark. That all came after the whistleblower revelations in Mm -hmm. uh, fall of 2021 where Frances Hogan um, released a treasure trove of documents to the journal, et cetera. And she came and talked to us about it on the last show. Um, She didn't work directly with Mark, but she observed him in the company. And she describes the obsession with flatness at Facebook. Here she is describing the offices. It's basically an aircraft hangar. Um, but But they do that because like no one is above anyone else. No one is below, right? It's flat. And when you refuse to acknowledge the power exists, you actually end up, um, reinforcing like the fact that power isn't flat in the world. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's one of these things where they haven't been able to hit that point of maturation where they say, actually, no, like we have a lot of responsibility here. Yeah, she's right. That's what I've been saying. What do you think it will take for Mark to acknowledge his own power? He won't. Everybody's, you know, everyone's the same. And I'm like, and then they get on the private plane and fly off, right? And they get to make the decisions. It's sort of so... It, <laughs> and they own 90% of the class we share. Exactly. It just, <laughs> I don't think they will. I don't think they will. Who do you think he would, uh, who, who do you think he likes less, you or Francis Hagen? I don't know. Or who do you think irks him more? Well, I think he, I think he was irked by the coverage of it and probably yeah. got too much coverage, probably. I like Francis. But, you know, I, I think um, 
I don't think he dislikes me in his heart. I don't think he's, um, he's not like that. He's not like that. He's not, he just doesn't want to step in it again. Yeah. He probably thinks I'm just, I'm just hostile. I think that's the worst thing he would say about me. Probably. Maybe not. Maybe he's telling people that, that bitch. <laughs> I'm CEO bitch. That's the bitch bitch. <laughs> the real bitch. That fucking um, bitch. Okay. But I've been right. So I'm, his, I'm your best friend, Mark. That's why I say to Mark, I'm your best fucking friend. That's what I say to you when I disagree with you. I'm your best friend. I'm your best friend. (laughs) Um, What would redemption look like for Mark Zuckerberg? I assume it's not in Mm. the metaverse. I don't know. This metaverse thing, boy, is he going for with the money? And it's not good. It's not going to end well. Can he redeem himself? And Yeah. Bill Gates. Look at Bill Gates. He was the villain, Darth Vader of that era. And, you know, except this Epstein situation, which is, of course, a problem. Let's Mark avoid an Epstein-like situation. (laughs) You'll be fine. He's very happily married and seems very loyal to his wife, Priscilla. Yeah, he is. He is 100%. Um, and his wife is lovely. Mm-hmm. I understand he's a terrific father. Um, so, yes, he can give away money and do stuff, and we will forget. We will bygones. And by the way, people will do worse. Look at Elon's already we're sort of like, oh, let's get Mark back because he's at least yeah. we could. He's not a jackass like Elon Musk. And so, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. He can redeem himself. Oh, how they how things have changed. In the I know. Last couple I, I years know. Where Everything you're like, gets... Mark Zuckerberg is great compared to Elon. That was not the case two years he ago is, for you. But he is mostly because he's lost power and the company's not as relevant, and he's got competition, mm-hmm. and he's also not a jerk. So, yeah. and yeah. Bill Gates is a good good uh, model for him. In 2018, you asked him who is he looked up to, his mentors are, and his first person was. Bill Gates. And Bill Gates was similarly obtuse to the challenges that Microsoft posed to the world. 100%. And yet after antitrust was able to hand over the reins a little bit. Yeah, he did. And I think he's happier. So do you think that's what it will take for Mark, handing over the reins? Yeah, yeah, I think he wants to. I have this feeling he's like, I'm trapped here. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. maybe he's super interested in metaverse. I don't know how you could be. Um, (laughs) But it's just not... You play it's a lot not, of video games, you might be interested in that, by the way. I just don't. It's not where we're going. We're going lots of other places, but not there right now. Uh, I think he probably wants to get out. It must be such a prison. It, it sounds crazy, but I feel like, where does he, he can't go anywhere. He's so famous. So much security. Like, one of the things that he, that I think is unfair, and I never do, is, remember when he was doing his his weird um Kiteboarding. I I think it's nice that he does stuff. Like I think he's nice that he does his his punching stuff. He does all kinds of type. Yeah, he talked to Joe whatever. Rogan about yeah, his whatever. MMA obsessions. Whatever. I yeah. think that's great. But when people make fun of his looks, it drives me crazy. Uh, you know, his haircut or when he was wearing um, the c- correct kind of sunscreen. I think that was really irritating. I don't think that's fair. I, yeah. I don't find that. I think that's not nice. So. It's not nice. Last question. Yeah. What would be your first question? in an interview with Mark Zuckerberg? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, what's new? I'd start in the metaverse. I'd start talking about the, the future. I don't want to relitigate all the stuff that I was 100% right about, but um, uh, I would start to talk about what his vision is now and why he's still doing it. Why are you doing this? I don't understand personally why you're doing this, so I'd like you to explain to me why you're doing it. I hope you get to ask that question. I will not. I will we will not. try adamantly. Never. Be adamant. Never unless we're caught in an elevator together by accident and then <laughs> and it, it breaks down. You know, a broken elevator. That's us producers could arrange that. No. Not with a security team. Happen. All right. Miss you, Mark. Big hug. <laughs> <laughs> you think you'll listen? I don't know. 
Probably not. Someone will. Eh. Someone over at Benda Park will. Andy Stone. Hey, Andy. Hi, Andy. Make it so. (laughs) Don't you have any juice, Andy? Nick, don't you people have juice? I guess not. Turns Uh, out you don't. (laughs) Come on the show. All right. Thanks, Carrie. Do you want to read us out or shall I? Uh, I shall do it. Today's show was produced by Naima Raza, Blakeney Schick, Christian Castro-Rossell, and Rafaela Seward. Special thanks to Haley Milliken. Our engineers are Rick Kwan and Fernando Aruda. Our theme music is by Trackademics. If you're already following the show, you get a stop on the Mark Zuckerberg listening tour. If not, you get a stop on the Mark Zuckerberg listening tour. (laughs) Go wherever you listen to podcasts, search for On with Kara Swisher and hit follow. Thanks for listening to On with Kara Swisher from New York Magazine, the Vox Media Podcast Network, and us. We'll be back on Thursday with more.